Hello, welcome to a new season of Zen Mind. This podcast is produced by the Boulder Zen Center in Boulder, Colorado, and features talks from our guiding teacher, Zenki Deloroshi. I'm Bryant Coley, a resident practitioner here at BZC. We're coming off a three-month break from the podcast, during which Zenki Roshi was leading a practice course based on his soon-to-be-published book titled The Path of Aliveness. He's now returning to giving regular public Dharma talks, which will be held twice a month, typically on the first and third Sundays of the month, and these talks are then made available here in the week following the talk. Zenki Roshi's teaching is made possible through the Boulder Zen Center's membership program. If you're benefiting from these talks and would like to continue hearing them here on the podcast, I hope you'll consider becoming a member. You can do so on our website, boulderzen.org, and I'll also put a link in the episode notes. So we're happy to have you listening in as we begin this new season of Zen Mind, and here's Zenki Roshi. Good morning. Happy New Year. It's almost too late to say that, right? After nine days. <clears throat> the year is just going. It's not new anymore. <clears throat> I don't know, I'm just saying something. Um, but I wonder, you know, if you um, made uh, New Year's resolutions... Somebody's shaking their head. No, I don't do that. Um, I didn't do that exactly either, but I did. I did do something. And so partly because someone uh, suggested it to me, but it was also in my mind, I want to talk about intention today. Now, um, I read in the New York Times, they, they had this spread about New Year's resolutions, you know, and the first, the first line in that article says, uh, a time management firm, you know, some time management firm says that, um, one third of New Year's resolutioners, they say resolutioners, uh, don't make it past the end of January. And that surprised me because I thought most, uh, maybe half of the resolutioners don't make it past the first week. Anyway, New Year's resolutions have this reputation that they don't last and that they don't work. And um, it's kind of interesting why that is. And it tells us something about what it means, what it takes to set an intention. Because if an intention is just a thought that comes into your mind on uh, January 1st or December 31st, it may not have the power to change your life. It may not, uh, you know, be what it takes to actually transform anything. When uh, I spoke with my teacher about intention, one 
I mean, the number of conversations over the decades, I guess. Um, but the thing that stuck with me is he said at some point, intentions are like dolphins. They live underwater. And occasionally they come up for air for a short time. So, you know, you could uh, interpret that as, oh, underwater is unconscious, above water is conscious. So intentions are unconscious, and occasionally you have get a glimpse of what they are, and they become conscious. And um, I think that's not wrong. But if you hear conscious and unconscious in um, a kind of, you know, in, the, in terms of Western psychology, then unconscious smacks of repressed or, you know, that which is avoided or that which you defend against. But that's not, that's not what I mean here. So maybe uh, in Buddhist terms, we could say more like, above water is narrative consciousness. And underwater is awareness. Now, it's not so clear what awareness is, but uh, I want to say for now, I want to say something like, intentions are woven into our day-to-day living. They actually are present in everything we do from moment to moment. And so they're not part of our narrative consciousness necessarily. They kind of um, live underwater, but they do govern our life. So to change something about that is actually fairly difficult. And it's not surprising with New Year's resolutions that you don't reach there if you have a quick thought, you know. And then also, it seems to me, uh, you know, New Year's resolutions, I mean, I'm talking about a cliché, to be sure. I'm not talking about you or what you do, just like to make a contrast. New Year's resolutions are more like, you know, I want to lose weight or, you know, I want to give up smoking. Uh, I want to stop drinking alcohol, you know, that kind of thing. I want to save more money. Uh, I want to be, I mean, there could be something like, you know, I want to make a change like this so I'm happier, you know, whatever it is. You know, when you when you read the New York Times about New Year's resolutions, they'll in this particular article, um, the author makes suggestions like, you know, set a smart goal, uh, not some goal you know that doesn't work. So there's some guidance of how to approach your New Year's resolution. You know, this idea of smart goals comes from you know, some management strategy. The goal needs to be specific. 
you know, smart, specific, measurable, achievable, what is it, relevant and time-bound, you know. Don't have a vague goal. Don't set something that you can't um, measure that is unachievable, that comes from someone else and isn't relevant to you and that, you know, takes forever to complete. Then you have to, then you will fail. That's the idea. So be smart about it. But I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about intention. And intention isn't a goal. Intention is a direction. So at least that's how I interpret it. And intention is what directs our attention. And attention is the most valuable resource in your life. Where your attention goes, your life goes. That which I give attention to, that's what's happening for me. And if I give attention to something else, then that's happening. So the in, if the intention is what gives direction to the process of attention, then intention is actually that which makes my life unfold a certain way. So it's very important. Because when we can get access to our intentions, then we give indirectly, or not, I don't know, indirectly, we give direction to the process of attention. In Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, Suzuki Roshi's famous book, Suzuki there's this line, when you become you, Zen becomes Zen. And when you are you, you become one with your surroundings. When you become you, you are one with your surroundings. Now, this is very mysterious. Kind of like, just let's just look at when you become you. If you are you, then, you know, how can you become more of yourself? It's like, it makes no sense, right? And like, logically, it makes no sense. But it makes sense to us on some level because we are, we can have a pretty clear sense that we are not fully ourselves or that we are kind of like chasing for being fully ourselves. And it's unclear what that is, really. It's not so clear, but we can feel it. And it sounds like, when you become you, it sounds like there is a you, an I, a self, depending on, you know, how you look at it. There is an, there is a self, there's a usual self, and then there is an actual self that this usual self could become. 
Yeah, something like that. And and I want to ask with you, you know, what is this usual self that could become or transform into uh, our actual self? And this, and I think this usual self is what you encounter when you sit down uh, for meditation and practice zazen. It it shows itself in zazen as your discursive thinking. It's it shows itself as these thoughts, sometimes just fragments of things that go through your head. <clears throat> and what are these things about? They're about, you know, what you like and you don't like. It, they're about uh, your hopes and fears. They're about what you think about other people, and you, they are about what you think other people think about you. They are about frustrations and successes and uh, worries and self-worth and so forth. Right? But sometimes they're just about rehashing something you've experienced and, you know, something you think might happen to you and you're rehearsing for it. <clears throat> it's hard to describe this process, really, because it, it, it happens so um, incessantly and also so fleetingly at the same time. It's just there all the time. It's like a layer of narration. So let's just say that what we call, maybe this, what I'm calling right now, this usual self, it surfaces in Zazen as this narrative self within the modality of discursive thinking. Now, in your, in our daily lives, I think it surfaces just in our daily actions and the commentary that we run along those actions. I'm not saying um, that there's something wrong with this narrative self, or you know that it's a bad thing and you have to get rid of it. Um, but what I am saying, you know, kind of playing around with Suzuki Roshi's statement, when you become you, that this you that is the narrative self, it's not satisfying. And uh, if we look at the other part of the quote, when you are you, you are one with your surroundings. This narrative self also separates us from the um, from our surroundings. Like here's me, and I'm you know involved with my hopes and fears, and then there's this environment that's like you know, I have to be smarter, uh, take, uh, making use of it <coughs> to achieve my goals or avoid my fears and so forth. Um, there's uh, this quote, almost, you know, so many people know it, it's amazing. Um, 
President John F. Kennedy, in his inaugural speech, said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Now, this, I don't know, it became very famous, this quote. Even I know it. Um, I want to take that a step further. You say, don't, don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country, but maybe even ask what your country wants you to do. This is, this, then it's more in the territory like, um, like what Dogen says, uh, when you carry the self forward and actualize the 10,000 things, it sounds a little weird, actualize the 10,000 things, when you carry the self forward and manipulate, uh, work with, deal with the 10,000 things, that's delusion. When you let the 10,000 things come forward and actualize, live the self, that is enlightenment. <clears throat> if you let your country come forward, I'm sorry to play with it like this, but if you let your country come forward and tell you what to do, that's enlightenment. <clears throat> So I want to ask something like I want I want to encourage you to ask uh, when you when you work want to work with intentions I want to want to encourage you to ask what does my body want me to do What does my mind want me to do What does this space that I'm in right now want me to do what does my partner want me to do? What do my friends want me to do? What, do my, what does my community want me to do, my country? What does the biosphere want me to do? You know, there's a, there's a hierarchy of intentions that are always in operation. And it's normal that the, you know, if you think about the dolphins, there are some dolphins that swim kind of closer to the surface, and then there are some dolphins that, like, they, they, they are not dolphins anymore. They're morphing into something else. They're deep-sea creatures, you know, can barely see them. <clears throat> they come, they almost never come to the surface. I'm, I, I want to give you a trivial example. <clears throat> I go running fairly regularly, you know, out the door and to the Boulder Creek, past Naropa, you know, past Naropa to the Boulder Creek, and then, you know. And uh, I have my eyes open when I run. Sometimes I have them closed because I want to, <laughs> almost closed because I just want to be with my breath. But sometimes I have them open and I see what I'm running through, right? And what I see sometimes is like I run through a lot of trash. It's just amazing. 
I don't know that in 2022, there can be so much litter in the, on the sidewalk along the creek. It's amazing. Like, I thought that was a thing of the 70s or something. <clears throat> Around our property, there's just so much trash. When we had these um, high gusty winds that started the fire in Boulder County, there was trash just blowing through the air. I was uh, sitting upstairs in, in my room looking out the window and the trash was just blowing. Okay, why am I talking about this? When I'm running, you know, I live out the intention of wanting to move because I feel that overall I'm doing better when my body moves sufficiently. So, you know, it doesn't have to be running. Maybe for you it's hiking or biking or swimming or whatever you do. And so when I run by a piece of trash, I don't stop and pick it up. But it's interesting. I have a feeling that I want to pick it up. And then I don't. Why? I ask myself that, you know, why? Well, sometimes it, sometimes my mind goes to thinking. It's like, oh, God, this is really dirty. I have nowhere to put it, you know. Running clothes, there are no pockets. <clears throat> so that's one side. You know, I have justifications why I don't pick it up. Anyway, I'm painting a picture that's not quite true to me, but just to, you might say, you know, well, someone else should pick it up. You know, the city must have somebody responsible for this. It's not my job. Um, But I think it's actually, there's something else going on too, like the intention to do my run is on, is, is kind of more important than the intention to pick up the trash. There's a side in me that really wants to pick up the trash. Actually, I want to clean up the whole neighborhood and Boulder Creek and the whole world. Is is this true? I'm not exaggerating. There's something true about this. It's not like I don't want that. It's just like I can't fit it into this immediate need, intention to go for my run. <clears throat> Although I do have an idea now for this new year. Uh, maybe I could find a way to carry a bag with me. And on the, at the end of the run, you know, I might just uh, spend... Five ten minutes of this time that I allot to go running to pick up the trash. <clears throat> anyway, I have this idea. I probably will do it. Um, so there's some things we really want to do and we don't get to or somehow we don't direct our attention to that enough or we let it go because there are things that are 
more in the forefront and they're more immediately important. But I think there's also something, and this is what's important to me today. There's also something like, I observe that in myself, I assume there's something like this going on for you as well. We go into situations with preconceived ideas of what we want to do with them. Like I go into the situation of going for a run with the idea of running. And therefore, I will not attend to the homelessness that I encounter along the creek and also not to the trash. And so it's kind of blocked out. But just think, I'm just using this example, but just think about this, like how this is in our day-to-day living too. It's like, in a Zen temple, and I'm... uh, this the community here knows this, that I just want to re-emphasize this right now, is there is a practice called soji, which means temple cleaning, where you dedicate a certain amount of time to cleaning the temple. You get a certain area, and then you clean there for 20 to 30 minutes. And I, I've been to Zen centers where there are uh, little sheets, you know, like when you're in the bathroom do all these things while you're in the bathroom so that it's clean afterwards. And it's a little bit like in a hotel where the cleaning staff has to, like, check the boxes, you know? And this makes sense. This is very practical. If you want the room clean, you have to check these boxes. You have to do all these things. But I don't think that's the idea of Soji. And uh, it may be practical to do it that way, And but, you know, Aga, who is sitting here, who just moved in with us, welcome again. Um, we were sitting around yesterday, and she said, this rug needs to be cleaned. <clears throat> and that's more the idea. It's like... What kind of mind do you, you know, you the mind of Soji is like you go into the space and you, you let the space tell you what needs to be done. You can't do everything, but you can feel your way through what is most important. I wonder if it's possible to live our lives this way. I think it is, actually. But it requires something like, and this is and this is subtle and it's really difficult to talk about. It requires zazen practice. And I don't think when you want to apply what I'm saying right now in your life, that you feel immediate results or that everything will work right away uh, in some harmonic, you know, beautiful way without friction or something. But more like a shift in orientation from 
I go into a situation with a preconceived idea of how it should be done to... I put myself into this space the way you put yourself in Zazen space, you know, like you notice your thinking and then you kind of drop out of it and and uh, relate to your breath and body, you know, feel your breath and body. I, I, I drop out of my thinking and I just relate to the space I'm walking in right now. And I'm letting the space tell me what to do. I'm letting other people tell me what to do. I'm letting, uh, this is something that's been important to me over many decades. I, I let the biosphere tell me what to do. Now, of course, this is an attitude or this is a mental posture. And then certain things surface that have to do with you specifically, like your talents, your skills, like what you're interested in. <laughs> you know, not everything can be done. So I think intention often, like we think, I have to go think about what my intention is, set it, and then apply it to my life. And I wonder if that could be changed. Like, mm, I put myself into the spaces, I use that word, spaces, actual physical space, but your body, the body, um, family, community, the biosphere, you know, I put myself into these spaces and I let them talk to me. I let something come. And then what comes, you know, you want to, then you can use your thinking mind that you can evaluate that, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to do that, which comes as an intention? How do I break that down into smart goals? Like, that's where that's appropriate, that kind of thinking. <clears throat> allow, you know, you can allow your thinking mind to work on that which comes. But what comes is not something you can think your way to. You actually have to let it come. So when Dogen says, to let the 10,000 things come forward and actualize the self. Like, I think we tend to think like, oh, yeah, there's some magical thing where somehow the self is transformed and the 10,000 things are now. But I think maybe the art of this is to find the, find the mind in which you are able to let something come rather than already thinking that we need to know how it needs to be done. <clears throat> that there could be maybe a, a deeper fittingness. There could be a deeper fittingness when we find a way to let things come rather than go forward and do stuff to the world. When you become you, you are one with your surroundings.
I mean, maybe you hear some mystical experience, you know, uh, oneness with all things. Um, but today I'm just saying, well, maybe actually being one with one's surroundings is to let the trash on the sidewalk speak to you. Let the needs of other people speak to you. <clears throat> there is a... In our minds and in our conceptual thinking, there is a split between self-centeredness, egotism, and altruism, you know, other other-centeredness, other orientation, you know. I mean, do you work for yourself or do you work for others? And it's almost like, oh, either I work for others and then I have to give up the self or I work for myself and then I have to neglect others, you know, to make a decision. So they're the egotists and they're the altruists. And then in spiritual Circles, you know, altruism is better than egotism. But um, being one with your surroundings, realistically, not in this mystical, schmistical way, um, I think it it actually we we want to develop a feeling for how to transcend egotism and altruism or self-centeredness and other-centeredness. It's like, when I pick up the trash, am I helping others or am I helping myself? That's not even a question. It's like, it's, it's good for both myself and others. <clears throat> when we thoroughly do something that is helpful to ourselves, like when you really listen to your body and you ask, what does my body want me to do? You could say, that's selfish. But when you really take care of yourself in this way, in this, um, with, th with this kind of intention that comes to you from your body, you're helping everybody. When we, when we're, when we're really taking care of ourselves, we are less of a problem to other people. And when we, and when we listen to others and find a way, like, not in some oblig, obligatory way, like I, I'm supposed to do something for you, more like when, something speaks to you as like something you want to take care of. You are taking care of others as well as yourself. Because to live in a society that uh, in which we take care of each other, we, we do better ourselves. Not like this society that we live in where, you know, many, many people... Um, don't benefit anymore. 
Anyway, that's a, that's a topic for another time. <clears throat> Although it's on my mind because of this January 6th in, insurrection that, you know, when I listen to the news or read the news, it's like there are these bad people out there who did an insurrection and let's put them in jail, which should happen, I think, but because people broke the law. But when I feel more deeply into it, like, what's really going on? It's like, there's a society that isn't working for people anymore. So, they've lost, it has no value anymore to protect it. Or, you know, other forms of disenfranchisement that have been going on for decades and centuries. People are not excluded and therefore not interested in participating anymore. I don't know, when we listen to these events, these larger events, like, say, societal problems or uh, what's going on ecologically, you listen to this, it's like, what, what do you, what, what uh, do these situations want us to do? I think when we respond to that, we're not doing something for others. <laughs> we're also doing something for ourselves. Ecologically speaking, maybe, you know, ensure the survival of um, ourselves. <clears throat> anyway, these are big topics. I may come back to them. To let, um, so intention, you know, to let something come and show itself as an intention that I wouldn't be able to think my way to. But now that I'm letting it come, I allow it to take some importance in my being. Maybe that's the way to set an intention. Maybe that's more effective than uh, to think about, well, what do I, what, what do I want to achieve this year? <clears throat> when these, I'm not making this wrong, you know. When what you want to achieve this year is in touch with these kinds of deeper intentions that guide how you give attention from moment to moment, you know, then, yeah, that's a practical way of um, realizing your intentions. Thank you.